You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Union Road Presbyterian Church. For more information, join us on Facebook or visit our website at unionroad.org.uk. I want to focus on today, folks, on uh, the theme of temptation that we see here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 4. I want to start off by saying that temptation is not only something that we give in to, but it is a torture. It is something that almost satisfies and sustains within us the human desire and the human need to want to be in control of our own lives, of our own destiny, to do one's own thing. It's not innocent. It doesn't fulfill It doesn't improve us, but it does give us some sort of temporary satisfaction that we are actually in control of our own lives. (laughs) One Sunday morning, I was in the pulpit in Kilnady, and there was two girls sitting at the front of the, the gallery. And later on in the afternoon, one of the girls sent me a message, and she said, my friend likes you that was with me this morning. And she said she wants to meet up with you. Could she have your number? And my response in a text message was, Dear, the pulpit's for preaching, not for bird watching. (laughs) And I hastened to add, nothing ever came of it, obviously. I said, It's for preaching, not for using as a bird's eye view to see who you can find out in the midst looking at you and thinking, I wonder, could I marry him? wasn't like that. It's been very easy for me as a single man to say, that's great, the Lord's leading me to this girl, but I had no leading in that particular direction. It's very easy to give in. It's very easy to say yes when we ought to say no. And temptation, folks, is never innocent. It never improves us. It's never something that is good. It hurts and it harms, and it hinders the development of a life that we ought to have, the development of the life that Jesus wants us to have, folks. That's what it gets in the way of. That's what it becomes a barrier to. Because, folks, our only reliable satisfaction comes through knowing and loving the Lord Jesus. And what we see here in Matthew chapter 4 is that Jesus faced a lot of the same things that we faced. He faced the, the, almost the temptation to give in to temptation, if I could put it like that. He faced it, he fought it, he defeated its power, he defeated its grip, he defeated it eternally. And so what has he bought for you and me? What has he bought at the cross for the likes of you and me? Well, he's bought freedom. He's purchased for us release from all of these things. And He's bought for us eternal satisfaction that this world can never give and that Satan will always take away from you. Jesus tempted just like us. Three things I want to leave you with today. Number one, a hungry soul. First four verses of Matthew chapter 4 
um, really remind us of what Jesus was actually going through. It says in verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, if you are the Son of God. Jesus was hungry. We all get hungry. Hungry for more food. Hungry for more of some other sort of thing. Jesus was hungry. Can you imagine what it would be like not to have any food for 40 days and 40 nights? I probably would be about half the size to what I am now. 40 days and 40 nights with no food. But as we think about this, remember there are people in the world who literally have no food. Jesus fasted, had no food for 40 long days. Imagine no Chinese for 40 days. Imagine no fish supper for 40 days. Imagine no breakfast for 40 days, whatever you have. Imagine no intravenously injected coffee for 40 days. Might be quite hard to look at by the time that you came to the end of all of that. Jesus here in Matthew for 40 days of fasting. Hungry, tired, weary, worn out. Physically, without any sustenance. He was weak, physically. Not only was he weak physically, but he was also weary and tired. And it's the time when he was at his lowest ebb, it's the time that he was physically in a compromising situation, I suppose, is that when the greatest temptation of all slipped and slithered into the sea, stepped into the fray. And it says, when he was hungry and uh, after fasting 40 days, he was hungry, and the tempter came to him and said, if you are the Son of God. And folks, do we not realize that we have a picture here of someone who would never give in to temptation, someone who was tempted just like us, and the difference between Christ and us is this, that we're sinners and he never was, ever. And so it's so much easier for us to say yes and not no. At Jesus' pivotal point in this gospel, Satan steps in. And when he is at his weariest and his weakest, Satan gets in there. And it's ironic and providential also at the same time that he does exactly the same things with you and with me. He knows what strings to pull. He knows what buttons to press. He knows when you're at your lowest ebb. He knows when you're heartbroken. He knows all of these things, and he knows then how to get into the middle of it, to tempt you, to hurt you, to make you hungrier than you've ever been. What's Jesus' response to the hunger and the tempting. He said, if you are the Son of God, Satan says, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Isn't it ironic and providential in the same voice that Jesus, the very bread of life, was being commanded almost by Satan to turn uh, stones into physical bread that could be eaten? And Satan throws doubt on the identity of the Lord Jesus Christ by questioning, if you are the Son of God. Surely 
and rightly so, Satan knew that Jesus was the Son of God. But yet he tried to tempt him. Jesus responds, verse 4, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Deuteronomy 8, 3, that's where we find that. He was hungry physically. He was being tempted at every level. But Jesus was watchful. He was watchful. Jesus, the eternal bread of life, faced the devil down with a bitter pill that even one day the devil will fall flat on his face before the Lord and recognize that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, the devil even has to face God at the last day and to be cast into the lake of fire and into hell itself. Jesus was hungry. What else does Satan try to do? Well, he tries to hurt him. Verse 5, then the devil took him up to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said, if you are the Son of God, here's this repetition of this phrase, if you are, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And then it is written again on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Psalm 91. That's where we get those words. So it shows that the devil knows the Scriptures. Throw yourself off. Go ahead. Go and do it. See what happens. So you know rightly that the, the, the angels of heaven are going to come and lift you up. Lest you strike your foot against a stone. Lest you come to any hurt. Satan tries to hurt folks. <laughs> He tries to implicate. He tries to get you to do things that you ought not to do. He tries to injure you. He wants to destroy you. He really does. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your marriage. He wants to destroy your children. He wants to destroy your family. You see that in our land with all the, the, the laws and things that have been passed. Satan's having a field day, folks. He wants to destroy the biblical family. He wants to injure you. And he wants to throw everything you've ever done back in your face. <clears throat> and he wants to say to you, well, sure, you're supposed to be a Christian, but you did this, that, and other things. Do you remember? If you're really a believer, why did you do this, that, and the other thing? And that's what he's saying to the Lord Jesus. If you are the Son of God, if you are the Son of God again, again, again. He wants to implicate you. He wants to injure you. But what's the contrast? Well, the Lord Jesus Christ, what does he do? He responds with Scripture again. Again, it is written, verse 7, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6, 16. Jesus doesn't want to injure or implicate, but he does desire to end well by the Holy Spirit of God. And he says to Satan, Don't put the Lord your God, the God that you will bow down before to the test. Don't test him. See, Jesus desires to live inside our lives, folks, so that we might serve God and not ourselves. What's your life like when you close your front door at night time? What's your life like in secret that no one else knows anything about? 
What does it look like? What does my life look like? Folks, I can guarantee you, if my life was to be put up on the screen in this church building, ladies, you would never need a perm in your hair ever again if you're into getting a perm. And fellas, your hair be out on top of your head like an afro because all our lives are exactly the same. And yet the Lord Jesus Christ indwells the lives of those who believe. Not to implicate or injure, but to indwell the hurt soul, the soul that's hungry. Are we hungry, folks, for the Word of God? Are we hungry for more of it? Are we hungry for a new minister? Are you really? Are you quite happy getting along without one? Are you hungry for the vacancy to be filled by the right man? Because you see, if you are, be at the prayer meeting. Be at public worship. I'm not going to say that necessarily just to the people that are here. You're here. People are watching online. If you're not here, it's time to be here. It's trying to dwell with the people of God. It's time to be out to hear that word that satisfies your hunger, not just today, but on every day. Third thing we see is that Christ was hungry, Christ was hurt, but also Christ fills us with hope. It says again, the devil, verse 8, took him to the high mountain and showed him everything in the world and all the kingdoms of it and their glory, all the temporary things that only last for a short period of time. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. You see, Satan's greatest <clears throat> desire of all was to get Jesus Christ to fall down and worship him deny his father. And of course, Jesus would never do that, could never do that, can never do that. Jesus came to fulfill his father's will, not his own will. All these things I will give to you, Satan says, if you fall down and worship me. Satan's, one of Satan's greatest desires is to distract you. And he'll always give you what you want always tell you how wonderful you are. I remember a good number of years ago, a, a, a minister sent me a message about preaching in a, a place, and, and he said to me, I think it was a student at the time in Union, and he goes, uh, I want you to give me your testimony. So I gave him a testimony. I, I typed it up and sent it in an email. And he says, you're that boy I've heard a lot about that used to work in the Belfast City Mission. And he says, I'm sure the devil probably told you that. Yes, Dad, I didn't preach in that place and I never got a reply back. See, Satan wants to give you what you want. Satan wants you to go out of church and think nothing about the gospel. Satan wants you to go out of this place and think, oh, sure, I'm dead on anyhow, I'm fine. And he'll always give you what you want, but he will never give you what you need. Because what he gives you does not satisfy, because he cannot. He's a distractor, and he's accomplished at it. Not only is he a distractor, but he's also a destroyer. And we see in Scripture that he wanted to destroy Christ from the start. We find in um, Matthew's Gospel as well, um, and in the Gospels generally, about the, the fact that Herod was to kill all the two-year-olds and under, and that was deliberate because he wanted to wipe out this man, Christ Jesus, the Son of God, wanted to destroy Christ from his birth. 
And of course, Christ does not yield to him or to his legion. The devil wants to distract you. He wants to destroy you. And he wants you to believe the lie that you can live however you like this side of eternity and get away with it in the next. He wants you to go to the highest mountain in the world and look at the glory of the world and think, isn't that wonderful? Isn't that fantastic? I would love all of that. And then reject the Lord Jesus Christ with your life, with your words in your household. That's what Christ came to destroy. And Christ came to deliver us from these things. Because the Lord Jesus Christ loves you, sinner, in a way that you have not even begun to comprehend. Why would Jesus Christ go to a cross and give his life and his blood and his all for you and for me? Because of his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And also don't sit today and think, well, um, I've got plenty of time ahead of me to respond to the gospel. If you're here today and you're not a believer and you are thinking to yourself, well, I'll be all right because I'm only young or I'll be all right because I'm middle-aged or I'll be all right because I've got another few weeks. Satan loves that. He delights in it. He rejoices over it. Whenever we say no and no and no and no again to the Lord Jesus, But do you see when somebody responds to the gospel, it's like digging a knife into Satan. But there's much rejoicing in heaven over that one sinner who repents. Folks, Christ came to deliver us from death and sin and hell. Will you trust Christ today? Are you trusting Jesus today for salvation, for eternal life, for eternal bliss. We often get hungry. Are you hungry for more of Christ? We often are hurt by people, by words, and get hurt in church too. <clears throat> you can say to yourself, well, if that's what believers are, why would I want to be one of them? Set that aside. Also set aside this idea that you have to be somehow good enough. You have to be somehow attaining towards salvation. We can't do that. Christ has done everything necessary and sufficient for your salvation and for mine. We have no part to play in it whatsoever. Christ has come to deliver us, to deliver you. It's time to respond. It's time to take the hunger away. It's time to get the hearts bound up. And it's time to live in the light of that hope that Christ gives to those who repent and those who are actively believe in him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time we've had today. Thank you, Lord, for your continued grace towards us. Thank you, Lord, that your grace is complete and sufficient. And Father God in heaven, we pray that we will go from this place helped, encouraged, but also challenged not to be complacent, 
but to be people who are active in the service of Christ. And if we have not responded to the gospel yet, to respond now. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.